I was reminded of a, I'm trying to remember where I actually heard this from. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember the people's court. You all remember the people's court? You say, what are you talking about? There was a narrative in the beginning of the people's court that said, what you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. You remember that? Anyone remember that? What you witnessed this morning is real. The participants are not actors. They were actually here, and I'm making up this part. It's not from the narrative, but they came in their own volition this morning to worship God, and God used each person as part of our service today. Jim, thank you for being obedient and sharing that word today, especially in light of what we're talking about today. Um, I love when God takes something that he's placed on my heart in the direction that we're going, and he confirms it through someone that has had no conversation with me over the last few weeks regarding what we're going to talk about today. And yet when we talk about spiritual gifts, one of the big gifts that people want to talk about are tongues. They want to talk about interpretation. They want to talk about the charismatic gifts. They want to talk about the grace gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. These are the the supernatural kinds of gifts. There are four different types of gifts, or sorry, there's three different places that we see in the New Testament that talk about gifts. You can see them in 1 Corinthians 12. You can see them in Ephesians 4. You can also see them in Romans chapter 12, I think. Four. Ephesians, Romans 4, I think it is. But um, forgive me if I mix, mix that up. But there's three different places for the spiritual gifts, administration gifts, ministry gifts, the charismatic gifts, or the grace gifts. And those are the ones that people talk about the most because people don't discuss or debate administration and mercy and compassion and helps and apostles, pastors, teachers, prophets. I'm sorry, apostles, apostles, pastors, teachers. They don't debate those types of gifts. It's the first Corinthians 12 gifts that people ask the big questions about today and say, are those gifts even so relevant for today? Are they relevant for what God wants to do in the church today? We're talking about gifts of prophecy. We're talking about gifts of healing. Gifts of tongues and interpretation. Those are the gifts that people really kind of camp on. And, and, and growing up in, an, in, a, in a place where um, we didn't talk much about those gifts, and when we did talk about them, they were discouraged as opposed to encouraged. Um, my life has been a combination of all of this. So um, I'm going to talk about that, but I'm going to table that just to a little bit later into our message because as I was looking at what's been going on in our country and what's been happening in our country over the last week, especially, there's a broader subject I want to talk about that the spiritual gifts actually fit in. So if you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's the eighth book in the New Testament. You can pull one of the Bibles out from the seat pockets in front of you if you'd like to follow along. We do put these up on our slides. Again, I say this Um, as often as I can, and you're welcome to read along with the slides when they're there. Um, But we really want to encourage you, one, if you don't don't bring your Bible, bring it. If you don't open your Bible, open it. Why? Because there's something about reading something on a slide that maybe gets a few ticks down or a few levels down inside your head, but when you're holding the actual Word of God and you're reading it out of the book that is yours— that you own and God speaks to you through that, you take that with you. And and I can open up my Bibles and I see notes and I see little words that I have on there and little pictures. When I was a little kid, I drew little faces that shocked me about things on my Bible that I can still go back and I remember where I was when those things happened. If you have the word of God with you, you bring that with you, you can make a note in it. It will go with you because the slides don't. Um, So I just want to encourage you to consider doing that. But um, we are going to talk more about the gifts, but it is a little bit later in the, in the message this morning um, because of the larger topic that I think we need to cover. So um, here's what we're going to talk about today. And, and it's, just a, it's a question, okay? Uh, it is connected to the Pentecostal theme we have talked about for the month of, Janu- of June. Uh, when I started, I talked about the power of Pentecost. Pastor Rob continued with the power of Pentecost in everyday life. Last week, Stan Williams talked about Pentecost through an ordinary man. He talked about how the holiness of God and the Holy Spirit took his father, who was an ordinary man, and made him extraordinary simply because of the working of the Spirit in him and how God wants to do that through all men. I thought that was really awesome. Uh, Today, we're going to continue to talk about the moving of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're doing it through a question. And the question I have for you this morning is, uh, who do you represent? Who do you represent? 
Now, that's a broad question, and you might have many answers, but here's what I believe. I believe at different times in my life, I've represented different things. When I was a child, I represented my family. Where I went, what I said, what I did, represented my family. In fact, you might agree with this if you're a parent, that when you go places sometimes, you might tell your children, be on your best what? Yes, see, you've done this too. Because the way you act will be a representation on whom? On mom and dad, right? Or your mom or your father. That's the way that it's going to work. Um, All kinds of things we do, good or bad, will influence how people see our family. When I got older and I was in high school, right, I represented my school. When I went places, I represented my school. We would go to games. We would you know, sing our whatever or play our, 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 our school anthems. And um, hey, if you were a good uh, uh, fan in the stands in the football games, you represented your school well. And if you're one of those crazies, you represented poorly. right? So that's, that's the way that that worked. In college, when I went to work, I was in corporate. I represented. Well, who do I represent? Everywhere the company sent me, I represented that business, right? I was a stand-in. I was a representative, a face to the business based on uh, where I went and what I did. I think about the missions trips our church has gone on over the years. We've taken missions trips to Argentina, to Haiti, to Alaska. Uh, We've taken trips uh, within the country, outside the country. We've gone all over the place. And I can tell you consistently, Costa Rica we went to as well. They call it Costa Ragua because it was a Nicaragua trip that didn't happen. So they went to Costa Rica. So we call it the Costa Ragua trip. Um, But that trip they went to, can tell you every place we've ever gone for missions work within the church, the leaders have told us consistently, the team that you bring and the people that you bring are just a cut above. They represent well. So when they go somewhere, they're representing Bridge Community Church. Listen, the list goes on. Um, some silly examples I was thinking of. I used to watch Family Feud, you know, and they'd say like the Smith family versus the Jones family, and they all do their corny poses, you know, and then they get down and you can tell like, are they actually going to win or are they going to lose? They pick the right five people to hopefully represent their family well. And the list goes on and on. Even in our government, we have 100 U.S. senators in Washington and we have 435 representatives in the House. They're supposed to what? Represent their constituency. And actually they're called what? Representatives. That's what they're supposed to be. So, so the question that I have for you is, who do you represent? And then if I take it a little bit further, how do you represent? Um, we represent with our words and our knowledge. We represent with our actions. We represent with the decisions that we make. In fact, my behavior specifically, your behavior, speaks on behalf of who or what you represent. People are probably more interested in seeing what you do then they're interested in hearing what you have to say. Um, but who we represent influences everything we face in life. Um, but above everything and everyone, now this is directed at followers of Christ, above everything in this world and everyone in this world, followers of Jesus Christ are representatives of Jesus. You and I are representatives of Jesus. Our lives are intended to represent Jesus to everyone we interact with in this world. That's the point, and that's our primary representation. Paul actually calls us ambassadors in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to get there in just a little bit. So this morning, I want to show you a couple of things. I want to show you, number one, how we can become true representatives of Jesus. Okay, because if you are a follower of Christ, if you've put your faith in Christ, before you're a husband, a father, a child, before you're a coworker, a business person, successful, unsuccessful, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter. Before you are anything else, you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a representative of Jesus. That's not me telling you that. That's God's word telling you that. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a few minutes. So we're going to talk about how we become true representatives of Jesus. Then I want to give some real-life examples on how it applies because the Word of God without application is just head stuff. And I'm tired of head stuff. I'm tired of me knowing and not doing. Like I understand so much about what we need to do to eat healthy in this world because I'm married to an incredibly healthy eater who watches me come home and eat cupcakes. 
and candy bars. And she says it's dangerous for me to go to Costco with her or Aldi because she told me a couple weeks ago, I saw what you brought home. And see, I know how to do it in my head, but I don't do it with my mouth, if that makes sense, right? Can anyone relate to what I'm saying here? Hands up a little bit. You're like kind of like scared. You're proud cupcake eater right here in Jesus' name. In fact, I get excited when I go to Aldi and I see the cupcakes because I'm just like, hmm. So anyway, that's a completely different thing. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. God has been working on my heart. (laughs) You are a representative of Christ. I'm a representative of Christ. We are representatives of God's grace. And a true representative or an ambassador, as Paul's going to call it, is one who represents someone who is a sovereign ruler, you may be over a country or something else. You are the voice and the mouthpiece of God. How do we become true representatives of Jesus? If you walk away from here doing nothing else today and learning anything else, please consider what I'm going to say right now. Being a representative of Jesus is not about what you bring to the table or what we bring to the table. It's about what we leave at the altar. If you want to represent Christ truly, As a follower of Jesus, it's not about what we bring to the table. It's about what we leave at the altar. Say, what do you mean by that? The world tells us the way we represent is to come with our skills and our gifts and our abilities and our our strength. And because of all of these things, we can represent well because all of these things are what really matter. And we go with everything we have, putting our best foot forward. Right? We even say this. I mean, in corporate, it was, what's that person going to bring to the table? What's this person going to bring to the table? What gifting, what, what benefit, what asset are they going to be to our organization or to our mission statement? What are they going to do to bring something to the table? In Christianity, as a follower of Christ, it does not begin with what we bring to the table. It begins with what we leave at the altar. And there's two things we need to leave at the altar to represent Christ this morning. And I want to talk about them briefly in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 20. Here's the first thing. To represent Jesus carefully or correctly, being a representative of Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Being a representative of Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. What does that mean in terms of what I just said? It means we leave our identity at the altar. We leave our identity at the altar. To represent Jesus well, I need to recognize that becoming a follower of Christ changes the way I'm supposed to see myself, which means my personal identity, Paul, and everything about who I am outside of Christ, it all gets left at the altar. Now, that doesn't mean it all dies at the altar. It just means it's submitted to God for him to do whatever he wants to do with it. Sometimes he gives it back, and other times it dies. But we put it at the altar because our hands are open and we say we need to understand that our identity without Jesus, before we knew Christ, all the things that make us us, they all have to be laid at the altar to represent Christ properly. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He's talking to believers. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about our bodies, We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this purpose, very purpose, is God, who's given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Stop there just for a second. He's talking about this physical, fleshly body, this new identity that we have in Christ that tells us of something bigger, greater than ourselves, that's eternal, and the tension that exists in our lives. I have seen this come out and come manifest so many times when we've watched people near their final moments and they pass away when they know Jesus, that they'll say over and over again, I'm just ready to go home with the Lord. I'm just ready to go be with Jesus. I'm just ready. And that tension, that fight that's been going on in this world becomes easier and easier to let go of because they know that one day when all of this is over, there's a better thing coming. 
they know it. And as our bodies get older, the fight gets easier to lose in this world. Why? Because my body just gets tired. You know what? Does anyone understand that part? Like your body just gets tired. And when we're strong and we're physically fit and everything's going well in that regard, it's easy for us to continue in this struggle and fight as much as we can if we want to. But Paul is saying, don't do that. Lay your identity at the altar because there's something greater that's on the other side for you. And God isn't just asking us to blindly believe that the Holy Spirit that he put in the hearts of all believers as it started in Pentecost, he says, is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Have you ever thought about his Holy Spirit as a deposit? A deposit. Like this is the deposit. Remember, remember Dunamis a couple of weeks ago? And you will be, you will be given what? Power? to be God's, God's representatives and to be his witnesses all around the world, supernatural influence over natural things. That's the deposit, friends. Have you ever thought about it that way? He's the deposit, and yet he calls his church to do supernatural things, to live a life that's overcoming and in victory positively. That's his deposit. And a deposit, you know, a deposit's just a little piece of the big thing, right? Right? Okay, all right, just want to make sure. It's little. It's a small piece of the bigger thing. He's saying the Holy Spirit in us is a deposit of guaranteeing what's to come. Verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident. I love Paul. Always confident. And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. You hear that identity comment that he just made? As long as we are in this flesh, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There is a new identity that Paul is telling the followers of Jesus. They need to understand. It's an identity that has primarily changed our citizenship. You may be a citizen of the United States, You may be a citizen of Canada, a citizen of some place or country in Europe or in Southeast Asia or in South America. It doesn't matter what your your citizenship is. Wherever your citizenship is, when you become a follower of Christ, your primary citizenship becomes a citizen of heaven over every other place. You hear me? This is really, really important for us to understand because this gets messed up sometimes in our thinking. You know, Christian nationalism is one of the phrases that people use where we confuse American citizenship, if you're a U.S. citizen, with Christianity and all the things that are American, actually, we say Jesus is in favor of. And that's not always true. That's absolutely not always true. We have to remember that before we're a citizen of this country, we are a citizen of heaven. And that should impact, impact I'm sorry, the way that we live. So that's the first thing when we're a citizen, or I'm sorry, a representative of Jesus, it changes the way we see ourselves. Let me ask you this morning, do you see yourself as a citizen of heaven before you see yourself as a citizen of earth? Do you see yourself as a citizen of Christ's heavenly kingdom before you see yourself as a citizen of the United States of America if you're a U.S. citizen? And it's, it's a question for you to ask yourself, not to say out loud. But do you? Think about your actions, your behaviors, your beliefs, your priorities, all those kinds of things. They determine and they tell the story as to whether you're a citizen of the heaven of Christ. We need to know that Jesus is our primary leader and he is the king of kings and we are citizens of heaven over earth. The second thing we need to do to be a representative of Jesus is to recognize that being a representative of Jesus changes the way we see others not just ourselves. We need to change the way we see ourselves, but then we also need to change the way we see others. Remember, I talked about it's not what you bring to the table, it's what you leave at the altar. What we leave at the altar first when looking at others is we leave what? Our identity. But when we are being representatives of Jesus and we change the way we see others, now we're leaving our priorities at the altar. We're leaving our priorities at the altar. Not just not just our identity, but we are leaving our priorities at the altar. When we change the way we see others, we allow God to touch us. Let me read on in verse 14. Just fast forward to verse 14 and look what Paul says here. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Okay, 
We're going to read through this slowly because these words are weighty. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Wow. I mean, does that get a hold of your heart when you think about those words? He's saying Jesus died for all. His death and sacrifice paid for all of our sin, all of our offenses. As a result of his death, everything else died. Sin died. Hopelessness died. Our ability to fix it ourselves was never possible. Jesus took that responsibility. And because he did that, because he did that, it says, all of us should no longer, when we put our faith in that work, should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul can't make it any clearer, guys. Our identity changes when we leave it at the altar and our priorities need to change, which means he's my master, I am not my master. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You could take that verse and talk about it for weeks. So from now on, we regard who? No one. From a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Why? Because anyone who's in Christ, he says, it's a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Stop for a second again. Verse 16. What is he saying here? Every person we look at in this world, follower of Christ, not follower of Christ, we should see them from a different perspective. That being a representative of Christ means we have to change the way we see ourselves. Our identity changes. We're now a follower of Christ. And then our priorities change for us to influence others. The person that you are married to, if you're married, are they your spouse or they a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Your sons or your daughters, are they just biological or adoptive or foster children? Or are they sons and daughters of the Most High God? That neighbor that drives you crazy? I don't actually have a neighbor that drives me crazy, but some of you might. Are they just the neighbor that gets under your skin? Or were they created in the image of God? That coworker that you go around the cubicles in the opposite direction to avoid? You know, some of you are like, man, he's like reading my mail this morning. They were made in the image of God, right? When you're at the supermarket and someone is being unkind to you, I was at a supermarket a couple of weeks ago and the lady behind me got upset with me because I tried to stack my stuff up in the cart, but I didn't have a cart, so I had to take it out of the cart and she yelled at me. And, and I wanted to turn around and go, and I just smiled and I took my stuff and was like, thank you, have a good day. And then I turned around and went, but I didn't say it to her. I just said, I'm following, in my mind, I'm like, I'm following the laws. You don't know what's going on in the supermarket. Go read the sign. But I didn't say anything because you know why? In my heart, I recognize in those moments, I can get upset or angry, irritated. I can get frustrated and I have to stop and go, I don't know if that person knows Jesus. I don't know if they're a follower of Christ. I don't know if they're having a good day or they're having a bad day. I don't know what's happening in their family. How do I know they didn't just walk into the store after hearing difficult news from the doctor? How do I know, fill in the blank, that all of these things could have happened? I'm only looking at it from the world's perspective. And the world says, stand up and fight for what you believe in. Stand up and take care of yourself. These are all worldly principles. And when our priorities are changed and we lay them at the altar, Paul's words, which were God's words, says, now we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Everything we look at and what we do should be looked at through the eyes of a coming Savior to deliver the world from sin. Because he came and he died, not just for you, but he died for them as well. Let's read on in verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore... We are, he says, therefore, Christ's, what's the word? Ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal to who? Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that a powerful chunk of, chunk of scripture? I mean, if you want to talk about hands-on practical, how this can actually manifest in our lives, read this, meditate on it, ask yourself, are you letting God change the way that you see yourself? Or do you still think you're of this world and God's kind of the bolt-on? And I do whatever I'm going to do. And there's that God thing over there that sometimes I go and participate in. Or do we recognize when we become a follower of Christ, it is the great exchange. He takes our sin and we empty ourselves, And then he comes and lives in us and he becomes our boss. He becomes the master. He becomes our king. And as a result of that, our identity is changed. And as a result of that, our priorities get changed because we leave them at the altar. Remember, God's not looking for you and me to say, I'm going to save the qualified people. Paul, you're good at this and that, and you know, you're good at this and that, and I'm going to bring you into my kingdom, and you're really bad at that, so you can't come. No, he doesn't look at that. He just says, I'm going to take your sin, and I want you to lay at the altar your identity, and I want you to lay at the altar your priorities, and then I'm, I'm going to give you new things. I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to give you abilities. I'm going to give you patience. I'm going to give you compassion. I'm going to give you everything I want to give you so that you can fulfill the commission of seeing others the way I see them. This is powerful. This is what Pentecost was all about, friends. Pentecost wasn't just about making people feeling good. You know, if you saw that, then every chapter after an Acts, it would be, and the next day they gathered in the upper room and crazy stuff happened. And then the next day they gathered in the upper room and crazy stuff happened. And 20 years later, Paul went back to the room and they're still doing crazy stuff. Like, that's what you would see throughout the rest of the book. And that's not what we see. What do we see? We see transformation, identity change, priority change, and the world is changed. That's the whole point, And that's how it has to happen. So how does that work for us today? Well, there's a few things I want to talk about briefly this morning, just because I think we need to put practical skin on some of that. One is the spiritual gifts that I mentioned earlier. When we talk about different kinds of spiritual gifts, and I mentioned earlier that there are three different groupings of spiritual gifts, the charismatic gifts, the the Pentecostal type of gifts that we talk about include prophecy and tongues and interpretation and gifts of healing and all of those kinds of gifts that God still has available for us today. But look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks to a church that's working in all of these gifts. Okay, The church in Corinth were working and moving in all those gifts, but they had a huge problem. And their problem was their identity and their pride. Look what Paul says. First, I'm not going to get to verse 1 because he says basically, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So I'm going to jump to verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And then in verse 7, he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. God does not give us the gifts for ourselves. He gives us spiritual gifts to be his representatives to the world. That includes the church and it includes the rest of the world. That's what the spiritual gifts are for. It is a fallacy and a danger for churches, especially Pentecostal churches, to pursue the gifts for themselves and not go change the world. That is why people in Pentecostal churches have bad, broken, abusive experiences, because people are so focused on getting, and they don't think about the purpose of the getting is to give. It's not for themselves. It's not for me. And I can tell you, as someone who's walked through this journey, I've spoken about this at different times. I grew up in a Pentecostal... No, I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in a non-denominational church that didn't teach the Pentecostal gifts or the charismatic gifts. I've grown through that process over the last 20 plus years. I can tell you example after example where as my heart was laid bare before God, as I changed my identity and laid it at the altar, as my priorities changed and my hunger for God became greater... God released different gifts in my life where he said to me, you mean you really are going to let me use your tongue? Bam. And I can speak in tongues if I want to. I'm not going to this morning, but I can and I do. 
and I pray privately to the Lord in tongues. I do. Why? Because I'm making it up. Of course I'm not making it up. There are people that will make it up. I don't know those people. But let me tell you, just because there's an abuse, it doesn't mean it's not authentic. There's abuse in this world. There's truth and there's counterfeit. And the devil wants to take things that are true and he wants to pervert it so we think the truth stuff and the authentic stuff is not real. It is real. I do speak in tongues. But Paul is very clear if we went through 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians. The most important gifts to pursue in the charismatic realms are the gifts that edify the church. So if we're going to speak in a tongue, guess who gets built up? You and the Spirit. If you're going to speak in a tongue and you're going to prophesy, I'm sorry, and then you're going to interpret, that interpretation, interpretation does what? It builds the entire body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, if you speak in tongues and people come in that aren't Christians and there's no interpretation, they're going to look around and go, you're all nuts. That's what he says. He goes, surely they're out of their mind. That's what he says. The translation, you're wacko. You're nuts. It really is the cereal bowl church of nuts and flakes. That's really what they're going to say when they walk in. They're going to say, this is insane. Why are we doing this? Oh, we love Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. And they go, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. But he says, but if they walk in and they see everyone interpreting and prophesying, and prophecy is synonymous with the, the language you understand to build up the church, they will look around and say, surely the presence of God is among them. See how that works? Don't be afraid of the gifts. Don't be afraid of evidences of prophecy or discernment or knowledge. I can tell you stories where I've spoken over people and God has given me prophecies or God's given me words of knowledge. I can tell you examples of things that I've prayed over people and I've watched them become physically healed about things. I can tell you of people at the altar over the years that we've talked about and God has specifically given words of things where people have asked to be prayed over something and we've prayed over something different. It's not just on a Sunday morning. It's in counseling sessions. It's walking down the road. It's, it's coming across someone in a supermarket and asking them a question that the Lord's putting on your heart about something that they didn't even know you, um, know you would know about. Or sitting in an airplane next to someone I've never met and knowing the name of her passed away father and her son and watching her break down in tears as I prayed the Holy Spirit's power into her life. I can tell you these things. Why? Because God's given me all the spiritual gifts and I'm just an amazing person. Whoa. I don't know who did the raspberry, but oh, good. Because if anybody says that to you, right back at them. They're not an amazing person if God's done the gifts like that in their lives. Can I tell you, and this is what I firmly believe. We have people sometimes that say, well, God's giving me the gift of healing and he's giving me the gift of prophecy. Maybe you function in a specific area that God has given you to grow in and that's a primary area. But can I challenge you with this? I firmly believe in scripture. Anyone whose hearts are open to be used by God for any purpose, at any point, that has their identity in, in check and they have their priorities in check, God will use them however he wants to. And there will be times that he will give you a word of discernment. There are times he will give you a gift of prophecy. There are times you can pray over someone and watch someone be healed. There are times, and the list goes on and on and on, that if he says, if your hands and your heart are open, don't be surprised when in the right moment you're with someone else that I need to speak to and I give you a gift that you never expected in that moment. It's not like you get one, you put it on your belt like a, like a um, Boy Scout badge. And then you walk around and go, see this? There's my gift right here. So I, oh, that, no, God's calling you to actually be generous. <laughs> Generosity is not my gift. This is my gift right here. Well, God actually is putting a word on your heart for you to share the people. No, 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 no. Healing's my gift. Healing's my gift. If that's the way you look at the gifts, you're looking at them wrong. God will let you use the gifts if you are, are open to him to use them. But the greatest perspective that we could do in terms of the gifts, in terms of representing Christ well, is open hands, open hearts, open mouth, open eyes, open ears. You hear what I'm saying? Like, if you want to see God move and all those things, don't limit his ability to speak to you and through you, through any of the gifts. Well, Pastor Paul, I've tried and I've sought, but it never really has happened. Everybody has spiritual gifts that God wants to give them if they're a follower of Christ. Everyone. It may not look like the person next to you, but can I tell you, honestly, it was never your job or responsibility or God's intent for you to compare yourself to the person sitting next to you. We are a body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, with a head, ears, eyes, foot, nose, mouth, little toes. The hand's not supposed to look at the foot. Or the eyes not supposed to look at the ear and go, I don't, like, I don't look like you, therefore I'm not part of the body anymore. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. Please go back and read it. You will see that I'm not making this up. It's true. He's saying, recognize your place, recognize what God's given you, and walk with it so that the body can be strong together. It's a beautiful opportunity. 
think about how we can represent well through the spiritual gifts. Second practical example I want to give you this morning is something that just recently came to pass in our country this past week. And you think there's no way you're going to come to a Christian church this morning and not have a pastor talk about Roe v. Wade being reversed. I could never, ever go without discussing this today. And here's what I want to tell you about this. Um, Hear me before you judge me. I will unapologetically celebrate the fact that at the federal level, it is not considered constitutional to take the life of an unborn child. Do you hear what I'm saying? I will absolutely, absolutely, unapologetically celebrate that fact. Can I tell you why? Hear me. Hold the line. There is nothing in Scripture that I, as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, could ever, ever use to justify why that law is okay. I could never stand before God and say, but God, but God. No, no, like, why is it considered constitutional right to take the life of an unborn child? It's murder. It's absolute murder. I cannot say anything other to go, I am celebrating that in my heart and I'm thankful that Jesus opened an opportunity to change something at the federal level that is now being passed down to the states to do whatever the states are going to do. Okay, first, hear me on that, okay? However, I have been sick to my stomach over the last two days since this has happened and I want to explain to you why. And this is where the church needs to learn what it means to represent Jesus well in this world. I am not just celebrating in my heart. I am concerned. Let me tell you what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned for the fear that this is putting in the heart of women all over our country. I am concerned for that. If you're not concerned about it, reconsider what you're thinking about. I'm concerned about the choices some of them are going to make moving forward. Choices that make their physical body at risk or the personal health of other people as a result of this law change. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, are you with me? You hear this? The difference? This is important. I'm concerned about the increased amount of orphans we're going to see as a result of this law. It's not enough to say, well, they can just go over the borders. There are plenty of people in this country that do not have the means or the ability, the understanding to go across the border when they can barely go across county lines. There will be more children that will happen and will be born as a result of the change in this law. The number of children we're going to see in foster care is probably going to increase. The number of orphans that we see, the need for adoption is going to be, is going to be increasing. Here's what I'm also concerned about. I'm concerned about followers of Jesus who are cheering on the change, but they do nothing to address the consequences. And I'm going to talk about that absolutely dead on. If you're celebrating this, can I tell you, I celebrate it too in my heart. I'm not running through the parking lot with a flag. I'm not putting it on my car saying, woohoo, God rules. I'm not doing that. I won't do that because here's why. God has opened a door of opportunity for his church to be his representatives right now. Can you hear me on this, please? You can in your heart say, I'm so thankful that law isn't there anymore. But if Jesus were standing here in the flesh today, he would say, church, I just created an opportunity for you. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to the fear that people have? How are you going to respond to the ignorance that some people have that they had no other choice? You know, we support the Pregnancy Resource Center in Lansdale and they, they save, I mean, I think last year it was like over like, no, the year before or whatever, it was like 75 babies were born or something because of what they actually did and the options they gave moms and the love and the care and the support. If you look at the numbers today that the orphan system and the foster care system and the adoption system have today, and what the needs that are there, the church should have been able to respond to that already simply by more people in the larger Christian church acting on it. That already shouldn't be an issue in our country when you consider the hundreds of thousands of churches that exist, the millions of people that go to church, and the amount of children that are waiting for adoption. We shouldn't even have kids that need adoption in our country if the church would just do the church's job. Like, I'm being honest about this, and you may not like what, I'm hearing, what you're hearing this morning. I'm telling you, This is not my perspective. Jesus doesn't call us to just be Christians because the law protects us. When the laws align to God's truth, we have an opportunity to get on board and to make it happen. We have an opportunity to be hope to hopeless people. We have an opportunity to be homes for homeless people. 
We have an opportunity to be parents for fosters. We have an opportunity to be light of the world and not just spout off some stupid thing on social media that hurts people around us and makes them hate Jesus even more. Because in God's name, we're excited about something that we don't follow up with our behavior. Are you with me today? Can you hear what I'm trying to say? This is so important for us. And I'm saying, will we respond as ambassadors of Jesus? As followers of Christ, we have a duty to represent Jesus. He's changed the law, and now we have a role to show the world a better way. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday. She's like, it's been on my heart since this changed. She goes, why haven't we fostered children over the last 10 years? Because 15 years ago, we can look back and say, well, we had a kid live with us for five years. And then a couple years later, we had another kid live with us for six years. And we had three kids, and that's really a lot. Can I tell you? It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. You know how I know? Because I know kids who are in homes that have a lot less than we have had with families who are quite a bit, let's just say, not quite as organized. And they've made their house a home for kids that needed it but we follow the American dream. We had our two or three kids. We raised our kids. We help a little bit here and there. We save for our retirement. We retire. We do little nice things here or there, but ultimately we just kind of sit back and look at our kingdoms. Again, you may not like what I'm saying this morning, and I'm talking about what I am personally processing, but if the church is going to be the church, We have to look at everything that God has given us and recognize you are not called to build your kingdom. I am not called to build my kingdom. I am called to change the world for Christ. Which means if the church does its job, the world is going to see a law that's met with hope, not a law that's met with hurt. We can't just bring hurt to people. We can't just bring an opinion. We have to bring an opportunity for people to see change in this world. And that means each one of us has to do our share. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for me right now, but here's what I do know. We can't celebrate something that's happening at the federal level so that we can go back and live our lives and say, the government has a law in place now, Jesus. Thank you so much. And watch people die. Watch hopelessness enter into homes. Watch families in fear and expect that they're even going to be this much more receptive to knowing Jesus. They won't. Years ago, I asked Pastor Nick when he came to live with us because he has other family members. And he, he's, like a, he's like a black sheep in his family. Like he thinks completely different than some of his siblings. And they're all wonderful people. And I've met them. I've known them for years. And I've asked him, I said, how did you come up with a different way of thinking versus what I see in some of your your siblings, like you're all kind hearted people, but like this thing you have for Jesus and the way you want to serve and love and bring kids in and do stuff. How did you get that? And you didn't just get swallowed up into the rest of the stuff that they did over the years. And you know what he said to me? He said, Paul, I'm the only one of the four that actually had someone reach out and grab a hold of me and show me enough love and care that I was able to change. I'm the only one. Nobody ever did that for my siblings like it was done for me. So I'm telling you this morning, there is an opportunity we have to represent and to represent well. To love women of unwanted pregnancies. To love scared children. To love orphans who feel like nobody cares about them. We have an opportunity to commit our lives and our families in the church to a fresh way of looking and caring for people in this world because of all of this. We can serve, we can honor. Leap, the thing we're doing at Leap, like I look at that and I go, that is like a drop in the bucket, church, of what God wants to do in this community. Well, if we can rally up enough support to make it happen for 50 to 70 kids for one week out of the year and show these kids that we care and we love them, we can pat ourselves on back for the other 52 weeks of the year and just go about our lives. And can I tell you, that is not what God has called us to do. That is not what he's called the church to do. I ask you this morning, what is he calling you to do? How is he asking you to respond to represent Christ well? Can I tell you, One of the greatest things that have challenged me over the years and to know that I need to continue to make changes in my own life hasn't been what someone's saying from a pulpit, but it's what God says to me in his word as I spend the time reading it 
as I spend time processing it, as I spend time talking with others about it and letting God change my heart by looking at his word. And the reason why I'm sharing that with you this morning is because it's important because you might be listening to this and saying, you know, I, I do need to respond differently in the spiritual gifts and there's some practical things. Or I do need to respond about this, this, recent, this recent change to our law. Maybe I need to rethink some of this and, and still celebrate but then go do something that God is putting on my heart, whatever he's called you to do. But there's a third thing. That you, excuse me. There's a third thing you can do as we get ready to make a change coming into our fall. The word of God is the thing that changes the way I think. And when it changes the way I think, it changes the way I act. And when it changes the way I act, it changes the way I live. And when it changes the way I live, it changes my legacy. That's just the way it kind of evolves. We're going to do something beginning in October at our church over a nine-month period. We're going to take six months of the nine months, and we're going to do something we're calling the Bible Engagement Project. Bible Engagement Project is a it was 40 weeks that we're condensing to 30 weeks during that window of time. And we are going to be offering a resource, okay, that's what it's called, it's a resource and a curriculum that's an age-aligned resource from children all the way up to adults, which means over those 30 weeks, we are going to be teaching the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we are going to be doing it at our children's level at our students' level, in our small groups, and our Sunday mornings, so that everyone is hearing the same thing, that we can grow together, that we can disciple with one another, we can facilitate understanding God's word in our hearts so that we can actually apply it to the world. We're going to do that starting in October. Like I said, it's 30 weeks. There'll be breaks throughout that time that we can talk about other types of things. But here's what I want you to know when we come into that place. In a few weeks, Pastor Rob's going to talk more about this on a Sunday morning. But we're doing this because I am absolutely positively convinced. If we don't know, we can know the word of God without knowing the God of the word. If we don't know the word of God, we don't, we, there's no way we can know the God of the word. We have to start by knowing the word of God. And the foundational teachings we're going to talk about will be age-based. And they're going to start with our kids. So if you have a family or you have friends, you can go through the week, be here on a Sunday morning, go have lunch with people, talk about it through the week and go, hey, what did you guys learn in students? This past week, or what did Kids Zone teach you? This is what we heard on Sunday morning, and the same message is going to apply all the way down to our young kids because we want people over the course of that period of time to know God's word so it can get planted in our hearts so it can change us. And we're going to do that during that window of time. I just wanted to give you a, a brief plug and a response for that um, and how you can actually grow and how you can be a part of something like that. Um, looking at the time this morning, I want to be respectful of the fact that we're already over our time. Um, so I'm going to ask if maybe just our, our worship team can come up. And Mary, if you guys can prep the song for when we dismiss, that would be great. But, but can I ask you all this morning just to take a few moments and reflect upon what was said today. And ask yourself that personal question. Who do you represent? Who do you represent? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, who are you representing this morning? In your words, in your actions, in your thoughts, in your priorities? Does your identity show the world that you represent Christ or are you representing yourselves? In the way that you spend your time and your money and your words and all the things that you have, resources that God's entrusted with you, does it show that you represent Jesus or does it show that you represent yourself, or the world. Here's what I can promise you. When Jesus came and said, I have come that you would have life and abundant life, part of what he was talking about was if you really want to experience what it looks like to be transformed, if you really want to experience a life that's full, a life that's forgiven, let yours go. Let me touch you. Let me change you. We transform you because when we do that we open up the possibilities for God to use us in gifts use us on the street use us in the community around us to use us in the way he's called us to live it's really a call to say how much of God how much of you does God really have is really the question how much of me does God really have? 
And as we look at these big things that we can celebrate and we can look at in our world, are we allowing God to use us to be his light in the midst of opportunity? Because when we do that, we can experience an abundant life. It's a simple prayer with eternal influence and eternal consequences to say, I want to give my life away. I want to give my life away. I'm going to ask if you would stand as we get ready to close in prayer and some of our altar people that are here, if you would please just join me up on the front for anyone that would like to come as we dismiss. But we're going to have people here if you would like to come, if you would like to respond to that personally or just to sit, you can do that. But we have our altar people here that will pray for you. We'd love to walk through with you anything that God's turning on your heart or putting on your heart today. But please ask yourself this question. Who do I represent? And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ and started by being a follower of Jesus, today is where that need to start. Because you can't represent Christ if you haven't given your life to him. And that's where we would start. And we can certainly walk through that with you and help you understand how to become a follower of Christ. Would you join me as we pray today? Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to represent well, to love you and to know you. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to celebrate the goodness of God. God, I do say thank you in the midst of a broken, hurting world. Thank you for changing a law at that national level, Lord, that I know, I know there really isn't a Christian, I believe, that could actually be upset that it's no longer legal at that level to murder children and kill the unborn. But God, it brings with it a lot of things that disturb us and should disturb us. It brings with it an opportunity for us to change, an opportunity for us to engage, an opportunity for us to, though we can say we celebrate those things, Lord, it gives us an opportunity to be a part of the solution to bring hope to a broken world. May we not just stand our ground and wave a flag. May our arms be open, Lord, to the world around us. May our arms be open, Lord, to the church around us as you call us to grow in gifts. May our arms be open all around us, Lord, to know your word and be planted in the things that you have for us coming this fall. Jesus, I just pray over each person here that we would walk with a spirit of unity, recognizing the opportunity we have to be your hands and feet and be the ambassadors for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome to go or you can stay as part of the worship. We'd be happy to pray for you. We just pray you have a blessed week and you'd represent Jesus.